0: And then I was reading Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. And a is at a bar, and he and his friends have been drinking, and somebody asks him, so how did you go bankrupt? And he responds, gradually, and then suddenly. And I smiled, and I had a, an epiphany, which was that our our careers and our companies and our relationships And indeed, our entire lives succeed or fail gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time.
1: This is the one thing podcast where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing team. Today is a cool episode for two reasons. Number 1 because we initially launched this episode as our episode 100 and it is one of our most downloaded episodes of all time and we figured, you know what? It's worth sharing again. And number 2, this was probably the most vulnerable episode that I personally have ever released and Part of the power of having coaches in your life is they bring accountability to the table. And there were some very specific things in this episode that I made a commitment to moving the ball on. Well, it's... Been a significant amount of time since then. And we've also achieved some pretty amazing results since this conversation. And the conversation you're about to listen to today was one of the initial conversations that sparked this entire shift in our business, in my personal financial life, and in my marriage. So we wanted to share that with you again today for that very reason. Number one, holding ourselves accountable to saying we are on the journey with you. Wherever you are, whether you find yourself feeling like you're treading, like you're just keeping your head above water, whether you're implementing, you have finally got those models and systems that you're putting to work, whether you're finally mastering those models and systems for yourself personally, or whether you're at the point where you're turning around and you're empowering others in your world to live the one thing, every single one of us is on a road to mastery. And what's amazing about the empowering phase is that whether you're treading, implementing, or mastering, every single one of you can reach back and help at least one person, can empower at least one person to go on the journey to living the one thing with you, which is why we are going to ask that as you listen to this episode today, set an intention to identify one person that you know needs to hear this message and make the commitment to sharing it with them today. Like we said, this has been one of the most downloaded episodes we have ever had. It's been one of the most impactful interviews I have ever done. And we hope that you set that intention so that you can empower those in your world to live the one thing. If you want to live an extraordinary life, it requires that you master something. And it only has to be one thing. When you look at what you want out of your life what do you want to master? What's the one thing you can master such that by mastering it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? In this episode, we'll ask you to consider if having a certain type of conversation, in this case, we'll call them fierce conversations, may be worth mastering. In this episode, I sit down with someone that I have been looking forward to for a long time. If you've been following the podcast since the beginning, you know that that Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, has transformed my entire life and ever since I have developed the habit of intentionally getting into relationship with people who are where I want to be. You also know if you've been following the podcast for a while that I've been going on a road to mastering asking great questions. The person who I one of the people I've been modeling when it comes to asking great questions, is the woman you're going to meet today. She has a book called Fierce Conversations. It is the number one book I recommend when others ask, how can I go on a journey to asking great questions? And today, you get to meet the author, Susan Scott. I will tell you, um, this may be the most meaningful interview I've ever done. And part of that is because... um, About halfway through, I asked that she turn the tables on me and walk me through a fierce conversation so we could model it for you. And she started asking me questions that really interrogated my entire reality. I share this openly because I know it'll help you. And you can hear the emotion in my voice because I'm recording this after we had the actual conversation. Um, My suggestion to you is that you put yourself in my shoes. That when Susan asks a question, that she asks it to you. That for if you could only treat one episode differently, if you could treat this one differently, when that question gets asked, would you pause and really answer it? Because if so, I have a feeling you will get to experience how profound having fierce conversations is and what will be possible for you if you go on your own road to bringing conversations like these into the relationships that matter most to you. With that, let's get into this conversation with Susan Scott author of Fierce Conversations.
2: Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes.
1: I look at my partner, Gary Keller, look at what he's built in, in, sh- in true awe and amazement. And I ask the question, what habits did he acquire? What did he really master in his life? And there were two things, recruiting amazing people into his world. And once they were in his world, coaching them to their possibilities. And I went to our advanced coaching skills camp hosted by my partner, Diana Kokoska. And she holds up this book, Fierce Conversations. And for two days, she cannot stop speaking your praises. (laughs) On the way back, it was in San San Antonio, I downloaded the book on Audible. And uh, I tore through that book in less than a week. I have never taken so many notes in the Audible app in my entire life. And it has completely transformed how I'm showing up in the world. Wow. So there's there's your endorsement. Um, So for people who... Already, they know I've been going on a road to mastering, asking great questions. Go to audible.com slash one thing. Get a copy of Fierce Conversations. It is the highest endorsement that I could possibly give. Mm -hmm. Where did this come from?
0: Well, it came from professional success and personal pain. I had been leading these small groups of CEOs for 13 years. I had two groups Mm -hmm. here in Seattle, where I live, and each group had... 16 non-competing CEOs in it. And I would spend about two hours every month, one-on-one with each of the CEOs, and then one full day every month with each of the groups so that they could advise one another on their most pressing issues. And it was so strange. Honestly, when I was invited to do this, I thought, what in the world am I going to offer the CEOs? I mean, they're very, very busy people. They've got resources up the river. You know, what, what am I going to do for two hours with them? That's going to be worth it to them. I mean, after all, I started out as an English teacher in high school and loved that and still love words and and reading uh, good fiction. My background was not, you know, I don't have an MBA. I, I'm that's not who I am, and it's not really who who I want to be. It's just so I went into this very humbly and just trying to sort of feel my way forward. And after having about a year of okay, but no cigar conversations with them. I had a really terrible thing happen. One of the members confessed to me that his he, he had not been telling me everything that was going on with this company and his company was in serious trouble. And long story short, he had to sell his company. And he 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 just kind of walked away with no debt, but not much to show for all the work that he'd put into it. And I felt horrible. And so did the other the members of his group. And I just knew that I needed to. I needed to change the way I conducted my meetings. It it didn't work to just go in and say, hey, tell me what's going on, you know, we follow up with you about this and about that and about this and what did you do about that and what's coming up? You know, that just, if we ask those kinds of questions, people can withhold what their the real issue is. I started to change things. I started to start every single meeting with the CEOs with the question, I want you to just Really take a moment to think about, given everything that is on your plate, everything that's got your name on it, everything, what is the most important thing that you and I should be talking about? And if they ever said, wow, I don't know, I would say, well, what would it be if you did know? (laughs) (laughs) And so and they would think you know i mean if if somebody asked me that question i i need a few seconds or longer to really scan my life my business my everything to to be clear what i should put on the table for us to talk about that truly was the most important thing and then i would just ask a whole lot of questions because i have never seen myself as as a person who's going to advise CEOs and what they should do. And you have to, you have to remember I had 32 totally different industries I was dealing with from, from, you know, coffee to software, to t-shirts, to everything you could imagine. I'm not the expert in any of those areas. So I'm not coming in with answers. There are some things that I have strongly held opinions about, but you know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of a manufacturing company, for example, or retail empire. So I just, I just came up with some questions that would allow the CEO to have self-generated insights. Mm. And over time, I mean, my CEOs just really, really thrived, and they would sometimes when they'd be interviewed, they would talk about these conversations that they had with me and the meetings that they had with their their uh, peers. You know, people would say, "What What are you doing with those guys?" And I, I would try to tell them, and then they say, "Teach us, teach us." And so I, I ended up being traveling all over the world, teaching people how to have these great one-on-one conversations and these great meetings, where you've got a room full of cats that you have to herd, mm-hmm. and everybody to, you know, everybody has a strongly held opinion and believes that theirs is right. Now, how do you deal with that? How right. do you get beyond? the loudest voice and all that. So what happened was I'd been doing that for 13 years. I'd had well over 10,000 hours of conversations with these guys. And I say guys because most of them were men. And then I was reading Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Mm -hmm. Characters at a bar um, in Spain. And he and his friends have been drinking and somebody asks him, so how did you go bankrupt? And he responds, gradually and then suddenly. And I smiled and I had a, an epiphany, which was that our, our careers and our companies and our relationships and indeed our entire lives succeed or fail. Gradually, then suddenly, one conversation at a time, (laughs) and I had just never, I had never realized that every the conversations were the source of all good things and all horrible things and everything in between. And I know that nobody ever taught me how to have these kinds of conversations, so that was powerful.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I have written down that I look at every single time before I go into um, my 411 meeting with my assistant. And it's the four goals of a fierce conversation, which is to interrogate reality, to provoke learning, to tackle the tough challenges, and to enrich the relationship.
0: You get a big gold star on you.
1: <laughs> I told you. <laughs> you have no idea the notes that I took on this thing. I've I've literally been studying it. That first one, interrogate reality. Right. What does that mean?
0: Well, that's such a huge one. And, and 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 I'll I'll answer that and then circle back around to the personal pain part of it. But interrogating reality, you, you have to start there. I, I can remember in the olden days, I would go into a company and help them with their strategic planning and they would set their goals and they'd create their strategy and we'd call it good. And you know, yeah, we still do that. And we need to get back together again at least once a quarter to say, what has changed since last we met? Because no plan survives its collision with reality. Correct. And reality has this irritating habit of shifting, which can seriously complicate our plans about how things were going to go. So we really need to, you know, whether it's a family, um, a a marriage, a, a, a work team, we need to come together every once in a while and say, "Okay, what are you seeing from where you sit that either supports what we're doing or suggests that we may need to reconsider? Um, you know, how is this working, or is it not working? Because I, th- I think sometimes the hardest thing is to admit, you know, our beautiful, brilliant plan that we all fell in love with is not working, mm-hmm. uh, and we really need to we we need to." Wash our hands of it and start all over. And that can be really hard. But if you don't, you end up way down the line with something that everybody was jazzed about, but your clients won't buy. So interrogating reality is tough and interrogating one's own reality. You know, how happy am I, really, really, in my life, in my career, in my relationships? How happy and fulfilled am I. And you're know, coming to the end of 2017 and it's a great time. I mean, I love December because it's when I really go off to my treehouse on Orcas Island and I reflect on the year.
1: And you, you literally know. mean a treehouse?
0: I do. Yeah, I do have a treehouse. I do <laughs> and I just love it.
1: <laughs> Di- Diana shared when she came in and stayed there. in it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she has been there. I just I love taking people to the treehouse. You know, and and just think, Okay, look, I I messed up in some key areas this last year. I was not really at my best. Um, I faltered here. I was strong here. This part really worked. And really just having that, what is my happiness quotient? How do I really feel about who I am and how I am and how I'm moving forward in my professional work and my personal life? with my friends and family.
1: What I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that interrogating reality is not just about the people you're in relationship with. It's also about holding up the mirror, which yeah. I know episode 83, um, Accountability Starts by Looking in the Mirror was one of our most downloaded episodes. And it was because we really held it up and made people ask the question, are you doing what you say you're doing? Are you, re- or, or are you telling yourself some story to justify your inaction? And this is about you really taking a stand for their greatness um you talk a lot about oftentimes people want to be nice in conversations they're afraid to interrogate reality because they want people to like them but care without candor is a dysfunctional relationship and too much candor with not enough care is a distant relationship
0: yeah i mean i don't i couldn't tell you the the all the secrets to success but i can certainly tell you Uh, a key to failure, and that is try to make everybody happy, try to please everyone. Mm -hmm. That is no way to live. I mean, you end up becoming someone you don't, you yourself don't even recognize because you're not standing on any real foundation. So that, you know, there are seven principles in fierce conversations. And the first one is master the courage to interrogate reality. And when you think about a fierce conversation, The simplest definition is a conversation in which we come out from behind ourselves into our conversations and make them real. And when that happens, when finally someone in the room puts a toe in that water, even if it feels risky to them and says, "I'm," maybe they might say something like, I know we spent a, a lot of time talking about this, but I'm concerned that we're skipping over an issue that's really causing us a lot of problems, and it would be this. And everybody kind of holds their breath to see what's going to happen. But everybody's also grateful because everybody was thinking that, you know, mm-hmm. and so coming out from behind yourself and ask, just getting in the habit of asking yourself, how far out from behind myself have I come into this conversation with my boss, with my customer, with my coworker, with my spouse? with my teenage daughter, (laughs) with my friend, how far out from behind myself have I come? How real am I being? And am I willing to come a little bit further? Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. You've worked with a lot of business owners. And I, I ran into Diana's husband, Tony DeSella, right before this. And I looked at him, I said, Tony, I'm about to get on with Susan Scott. What's one question you would ask her? And he goes, I'm actually really curious. Um, what's the one thing you see business owners doing that messes their own business up?
0: Oh, that is a powerful question.
1: He's good at those.
0: <laughs> I know it's, I, I, I've, I've sort of listened in when Tony's been coaching somebody when I've stayed in their home. And I love to listen to Tony. It's very, he's so good at what he does. I think the one thing that business owners sometimes overlook to their detriment and the detriment of everyone around Mm -hmm. them, including their employees and their customers, is the importance of connection at a deep level. I think that we can get so caught up in the intellect. And even Einstein, he was on to this, he said, we must take care not to make the intellect, our God. It has, of course, strong muscles, but it cannot lead. It can only serve. So when we lead with our smarts, and I'm not saying we, we don't need our smarts. We need every brain cell we've got, you know, To, But when we lead with our smarts, but we are not connecting with our customers, with our employees, with our vendors, with our whoever, uh, at a deep level, We are water skiing through what should and could have been a much richer conversation with a much more powerful, complete, and elegant solution. So, you know, I always think about, and I write about this in both of my books, uh, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for economics. Daniel Kahneman is a Princeton psychologist. And, you know, how in the world is it that a psychologist wins the Nobel Prize for Economics because of his studies? And there was just another um, big study that came out that proved exactly the same thing. Mm. people make decisions and act on their decisions first for emotional reasons, second for rational reasons. Mm. And this is not a girl thing. It's not a cultural thing. This is the human condition. So we like to think that we're always making these very logical decisions based on empirical data, return on investment, blah, 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 blah. And um, actually, there's, there's some emotional heat underneath all of it that is fueling where we want to go with something. And so I think leadership should be measured in terms of the ability to connect at a deep level with the people who are important to your success or lower your aim.
1: Can we narrow it down there a little bit more? because um, and this is the whole idea of the one thing is you take something big, like being the type of person who can deeply connect really with anyone, yeah. what's the one thing they can do, such that by doing it would make connecting on a deep level easier or unnecessary?
0: Okay, let me let me just back up a tiny bit and cool. say, and I'm going to fold into this the personal pain part, because um, I had I heard um, a Yorkshire-born poet. David White speak years ago at a time when I had just left a long-term marriage, and I was in a lot of pain. I was just kind of heartbroken over it, but I I just finally sort of gave up on the whole thing. And David said something that ties into what you and I've just been talking about. He said, the young man who's newly married is often really perplexed, even frustrated, even irritated sometimes, because this lovely person to whom he has plighted his troth, That's how they talk in England, and with whom he hopes to spend the rest of a glorious life, insists on appearing before his face yet again, wanting to talk about the thing we just talked about last night, last weekend. And so often it has something to do with the quality of our relationship. And he wonders, why are we having this conversation again? And then David said, long about age 42, and he smiled because he was 42 and married at the time. He said, long about age 42, if he's been paying attention, it dawns on him this conversation is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, he is talking just to me. And I found out later on that all 400 people in the room, most most of whom were men, felt exactly the same way. We all wanted to run out into the parking lot and phone home. So if you if you recognize there may be something to the notion that the conversation is the relationship, then if you and I add yet another topic to the list of things we're unable to talk about because it wrecks another meeting at work or it wrecks another weekend at home, then all of the possibilities for that relationship become smaller and smaller and smaller until, you know, one day I recognize I've made myself quite small. I'm behaving as if I'm just a space around my shoes engaged in yet another three-minute conversation that is so empty of meaning it crackles. So if the conversation is the relationship, that means that every time I'm, I'm with someone, whether we're actually speaking or we're emailing or we're texting, I mean, all of these are forms of conversation, so to speak. Every single conversation that I have with anybody is either enriching that relationship, flatlining it, so what's the point, or taking it down. So what's the one thing somebody can do? Be aware of that. Be aware that this conversation, even this 30-second exchange you're having with somebody, sort of as you pause for a moment at their desk or something, are you really present? I mean, one of the principles is be here, prepared, to be nowhere else. So be here in this conversation with this person prepared to be nowhere else for these 30 seconds or this hour and a half or whatever it is. If they just did that, just that, it would enrich their relationships and people would People would start following them around, it could become a problem because you, you know, it's a rare experience to have that.
1: So, what I'm hearing you say is that the one thing someone can do, such that by doing it would make having deep, meaningful relationships easier or unnecessary, is to be prepared to be present for the conversation fully, fully,
0: fully present. And, um, I mean, of course, there's much more to the skill of having this conversation. And sadly, a lot of people, Just because they're standing there and their eyes are sort of pointed in your direction, you can tell that they're not really there or they're thinking about something else. They're distracted. So they're not really there. And when we know when somebody's not really there. And when they're not really there, we're not really there either. Why bother? Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask, how are you? And I didn't really mean it. You'd get (laughs) that I didn't really mean it. And you'd say, I'm fine. And I say, good, and pass on by. And nothing of interest would have happened. But if I stop by your desk and say, I know that you went to visit your grandmother last weekend, how was that? And I just pause for a little bit and really listened to you, you might tell me. And if you stopped, if you just gave me, um, oh, well, it was tough and you didn't say anything else. And I just stood there and waited and looked at you like, I'm open for more. Or if you're, if you seem to be frozen, I might say, say more, tell me more, you know, and let you talk. That's a good thing. Or I might even say, hey, I heard you had an amazing conversation with one of our toughest negotiators, um, you know, a vendor that we really struggle with sometimes. Tell me how that went. I'm so impressed and really listened. And not, not feel like I have to say anything back to you, but I'm really listening to you. So here's the thing. A lot of people think this is all soft stuff. This, this belongs in the bucket called soft skills. And they're mistaken. When we enrich our relationships with the people who are important to our success, when with them we interrogate reality, learning is provoked, we tackle and resolve our toughest challenges and enrich our relationships with one another, it drops straight to the bottom line. We just got some figures from one of our clients who did a pre and post survey on a whole bunch of behaviors. And the results were just stunning. And one of the ones that I was happy to see was there was a 12% improvement in strategy execution. Now, I know that a lot of decision makers are saying, I need the ROI, I need the empirical data, I need to blah, 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 blah. Well, 12% improvement in strategy execution would be really important. Well, where does that come from? It doesn't come from threatening people or saying, you have to get this done. I'm holding you accountable. You know, we have to meet this goal. What are you going to do? It comes from really being present, really listening to them, being extremely skillful in the questions that you ask. Being completely candid, completely transparent about what's working, what isn't working, asking for their perspectives and really asking, then people lean in and amazing things start to happen.
1: For somebody like me, I have gotten clarity that if one of the things I can master in my lifetime, and this may be top two for me, is the ability to ask great questions, and I'm four months into my journey which for people who have been following the podcast that long, they can see the transition because I have really started interrogating reality of the people who listen. Where do I go from here? What would you do if you're in my shoes knowing everything you know? How would you go on a road to mastering asking great questions?
0: Well, the book is full of, of full of questions.
1: Oh, you betcha. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, got, it's got long lists of just amazing questions. So, I, I want to think it's it's not a shortage of good questions. The flaw is that we're not really listening to the answers. And we're not listening to the answers in a way that what somebody how somebody responds suggests the next question. We forget to say, say more about that. Keep talking. What else? I mean, just that because a lot of people will when you ask them a question, They'll give you what I think of as sort of a water ski response. So that's a surface. You know, water skiing is really fun. I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My grandparents had a place in the lake. My granddaddy had a boat. We would water ski. I loved it. And you can get a tan. But
1: (laughs) (laughs) not so much in Seattle.
0: (laughs) No, not so much in Seattle. We we go to Hawaii usually. Um, But if you have, and I have, uh, gone scuba diving, That is an entirely different world. You know, um, my next door neighbors just left this morning from Maui and I'm very jealous because I've been over there and scuba dive and, you know, I've been four feet away from these beautiful sea turtles and everything else. And anybody who's had that experience knows that that is nothing like water skiing. And both are fun. But if you want the deeper experience, it's not so much. The questions that you're asking, because, I mean, there's just long lists of great questions. It's what do you do when somebody starts answering those questions? Mm. At what level are you listening? So, I mean, I've even done whole trainings on this. Get somebody up in front of the room to talk. And the group is, everybody in the room has been instructed that a third of you are going to listen for the words. A a third of you are going to listen for emotion connected to the words. And a third of you are going to be listening for intent. You know, what is this person really going to do about this? I mean, where, are they just blowing off steam or is there anything here? And some of the most powerful learnings in the world. I remember one guy talking about how he was so frustrated with his weight and he was going to start a diet immediately. And so people were able to say, this is exactly what you said. And, some the, you know, the other group here, are the emotions you have are around this And the third group said, you're not going to do anything. I don't I don't believe that you're going to do anything. And he was really upset. And on the next break, he had not one, but two uh, Mars bars or something. You know, I mean, he <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, am I just if I'm just if I'm just listening for words, but not really paying attention to what's, you know, what might there be behind that? Is there a follow on question I can ask? Is there a way that I can get you to go beneath the surface? Mm. Um, so that we can have a deeper experience. So it's what you do with the answers. And, you know, you might think, well, I'm going to ask this question and it's going to take us in this direction. This is going to be so cool. But you ask the question, and if you're really listening to the answer, you may end up, you know, somewhere entirely different than where you thought you would, and it is so fascinating. It's, It's nowhere you would have even guessed that this conversation could go. But because you were completely present and you were really listening and you're paying attention to, well, what else, what else, what's deeper, what's underneath this? I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, you know, if they're if they're describing something that bothers them, some situation or some result that's really bothering them. Um, And I can say, well, please tell me everything that you're not liking about this. You know, what results is this producing? And they. They tell me, well, I don't like this and this is happening and that's happening. And I always, what else, what else, what else? And then, okay, let's imagine it's a year from now and nothing has changed. So what? And then they go, oh my God, that would not be okay. You know, and we're we're into a you know what I'm doing really is giving the lit match something to ignite. It's Daniel Kahneman. I'm trying to get them in touch with, you know, you got some heat on this. You really do have some heat on this. So we know people who tell the same sad story over and over and over and over again never do anything about it. And that's not what I want.
1: Anchoring the emotion in the conversation. And I know when you go through the mineral rights model, which I've been studying. I've had it used on me and I have been using it. It's the whole idea of you don't actually earn the right to go to the solution until you have created enough heat, enough pain so that they are com- compelled to take action. That's right. And this is totally off the cuff. And I, I feel like to add the most value to people, maybe for them to actually experience what it sounds like to have one. Can we turn the tables and can, can we have one? Sure. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, Buckle your
1: seatbelts, people. I'm actually a little scared.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't need to be. This is a you know one of the things about a fierce conversation is that there it's filled with um, goodwill and compassion. Mm-hmm. There are no you know people talk about harsh reality or brutal in, uh, honesty, and there's nothing brutal or harsh about a fierce conversation. Sometimes it can be a very loving conversation. But let me ask you, Jeff. You know when you think about What's happening in your life right now? Professional, personal, everything, all aspects that are important to you. Given that you mm-hmm. and I have a finite amount of time to spend here, mm-hmm. what is the most important thing we should be talking about right now?
1: <laughs> and for people who can't see me, I'm already tearing up. I am not clear in what we are doing with our business. And that's deeply seated in the fact that one of the first things that was shared with me was that Gary and Jay invested five years researching and writing the one thing so that the bar for quality would truly be world-class. My job was to raise the bar and anything other than that is unacceptable. Every single day I ask the question, am I living up to the brand? Am I raising the bar? Um, it's a, a bit of an imposter syndrome and seeing all the areas where frankly we're failing. Tell me about
0: the results you're seeing or not seeing that concern you. What, I mean? What makes you feel that there's much more to be done?
1: The model we started going down, which is quote a uh, digital marketing, internet marketing model, inherently every single strategy in that model undermines the quality of our brand. Wow. Send you a
0: little bit more about that. Yeah. Is...
1: So send an email every single day, bash people into submission, hammer their inbox so hard that you bash them into making a purchase. When our brand is about saving people time, wow. and inherently, if I'm honest with myself. I feel like we've we've made a tweak recently. I used to say eighty five percent. I think at least sixty percent of our emails still waste people's time.
0: Mm. That is a powerful thing to say. And so when you when you look at that effect mm-hmm. that you feel it's having, on it's wasting people's time. You know, maybe it's an irritant to them. Who knows? What do you feel when you when you when you look at that? It's, it almost seems like a disconnect between what you're wanting people to experience what they are experiencing, what what do you feel?
1: I think the first thing I feel is frustration. Um, then I feel confused. I feel frustrated because our main sales channel is email. Yeah. And I'm confused because I know there's a better way. I have the gift of having Gary and Jay in my life to ask me bigger questions so I can search for bigger answers. Mm -hmm. I don't have clarity on how I can reinvent a model that works for us yet. And uh, my natural tendency as a leader is to get everything done yesterday.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I don't have patience for the results or cancel. I struggle to find the patience to generate lasting results.
0: Yeah. So, all right. You're not feeling great about how you're marketing selling Mm -hmm. what else what else is disturbing you um
1: are we serving the right customer would you say more about that the book was written for entrepreneurs it happened to end up helping everyone and for a book about one thing we try to wake up and serve everyone
0: and is that not a good strategy, or what I are you don't saying? think so.
1: I think you need to. I think you need to narrow your focus. Mm-hmm. Oh, what we taught it's what we teach. Narrow your focus down and figure out who you really want to serve at a world class level, and um, then allow it to grow from there. I mean, we could spout off all the companies that have done that. Amazon, it's worked out pretty well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I struggle because impact and purpose is what drives everything that we do. It really does. And I love being able to help the small business owner. I love being able to help the startup entrepreneur. I love the stay-at-home mom who's in my membership community, who's finding out how to strike the balance between kids and finding purpose. Mm-hmm. Yet, I'm confused. How do we serve them at a high level? And at the same time, tomorrow, I'm getting on the phone with an executive of a Fortune 500 company to talk okay. about what it looks like to roll this out to 20,000 people. Yeah, exactly. How many rabbits can I chase?
0: Exactly. Makes me think of Jim Collins' hedgehog thing. You have Absolutely, to know hedgehog is. You know, what's the one thing you want to be best in the world at, and
1: yeah, go there. Okay, can I say one thing? Because it's it's the underlying challenge that I I struggle with. I have built a lifestyle that exceeds my salary. So Do I you in- have
0: a lifestyle that exceeds your salary. I
1: have built a lifestyle that is that exceeds my salary, and which inherently leads to me wanting to make short term decisions in the business. That ultimately sacrifices long term sustainability.
0: Okay, so I'm a little bit in love with you right now because of your honesty and your vulnerability. And I'm so impressed that you're doing this live um, on air. Thank you. It's going to be out there. You're very courageous and Mm -hmm. a good man. I mean, I just so I want to ask you if that question that I referred to earlier, Mm -hmm. if it's six months from now mm-hmm. uh, and nothing has changed. You're still in the red. You're still compromising some of your decisions because you need to make money now versus you know the the long term. You're still having some confusion and frustration because you're trying to serve different markets. Nothing has changed. What's likely to occur? <sighs> Ooh, what a sigh.
1: I've heard Gary say this. Sometimes we tell ourselves this. Sometimes we're failing so slowly; mm. it feels like we're succeeding. Very much like your uh, sud- uh What was it? Gradually, sudden. then suddenly. Mm. If we continue doing what we're we've been doing in certain aspects of the business, it's failing so slowly that ultimately, I think it's that gradually, then suddenly, we are making many tweaks. I'm putting that pressure on myself because of my lifestyle.
0: Well, let's talk about that, Jeff. So you know, oh, <laughs> in, in, almost, in, in almost any situation, we—I mean, the toughest and most important thing to do is to say where, where are, where's my DNA on this situation? Uh, you know, yeah. where are my fingerprints here? What, what have you brought to the party, so to speak, that has, is causing this languishing success? Slash failure.
1: The pain that I've inflicted on myself. I've inflicted pain on myself because I have yet again, this is the second time I've done this when I swore I wouldn't do it again after the first time. Yeah. Um, I built a lifestyle that exceeds the salary and w- it's tough to move back. Yeah. What else? Oh, I really do believe that's it. And mm-hmm. here's why I say that, Susan. If the money were not If I wasn't feeling the financial strain on a month-to-month basis, I would be where my partners are mentally, which is let's build a great company. We see the metrics. We see what's happening. We know we're building great products that are helping people um, that will scale. We know we're doing the right thing. It's that knocking that lead domino down and trusting the domino effect over time is insanely hard.
0: So let me ask you this. Let's say you did the hard thing, mm-hmm. which would be to lower your costs. Mm-hmm. You were very, very clear about your work, who your market is. You were building something that you could see is actually going to succeed mm-hmm. because you have you've said, you know, it's like one of the. One of the really cool things David White, that poet, said is one of the most powerful learned to say is no. Mm. And because if we say yes and yes and yes, yes, we can can serve this market. Yes, we can do this for you. Yes, we can do that for you. Then when a really powerful yes comes along, there's no room for it Mm
3: -hmm. because
0: you've said yes to everything else. So let's say you've said no, even to the moms at home. Now, moms at home listening to this, don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to help Jeff get clear here. If you said no to everybody, but you're really clear targeted, this is who, this is who we need to focus on. The one thing, mm-hmm. your paycheck is covering your costs. You're convinced that where you're headed is the right direction. Mm-hmm. What difference would that make?
1: It'd make all the difference. Most of the strain and stress that I create for myself, the number one stress in my marriage, would all go away.
3: Hmm.
1: What about the business? As well, I would be 100% committed and focused on doing the right long-term things.
0: And if there was no longer this painful stress on your marriage because you're living within your means, even mm-hmm. though they're a bit smaller for the time being. And if the business, you're you're really rocketing along in the right direction on the right things, if that were the case, what would you feel?
1: I'd feel amazing. I mean, I'd feel like I'd be living my purpose. I wouldn't, I'm, I still can't wait to get out of bed, but I mean, just truly uh, I'm living my life's calling right now, and I would be feeling, the word that comes to mind is euphoria. Mm. That's a sweet word. It's a good one.
0: And what about your marriage? No more stress on there. Yeah. No more stress. What if, would you be feeling then?
1: Uh, my connection with Amy would be just so much deeper. hmm It's, um... It's a huge It's a huge issue right now. I'll say opportunity,
0: I, I get that it is i and those who are listening, I'm looking at Jeff. We're on Skype, and I see the tears in your eyes, and I see the pain, and I'm so I feel it. So I'm going to ask you this question, given everything that you and I've just talked about, just in this very brief conversation. What do you see as the next most important step? I mean, there may be many steps, but the next most important step you need to take.
1: First thing I'm going to say is just get clarity on what that North Star is in our business. To truly get clarity on what the right... like, Let me just assume that everything else has been taken care of. What are the right actions? Get them down on paper.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: so that I have something to compare to. Um, the reason I went there and not straight to the money is because that is the topic of every conversation I have with my coach. Every meeting for my one with Jay is all... We're already focusing there. Um, and we're making progress. It's just... I want it yesterday. And... Um, It's all going in the right direction. Just trusting the domino effect so hard.
0: And you are broken hearted. Yeah. You are broken hearted. You can't, oh my gosh, you cannot continue like this. I can't stand this for you. What's the conversation? What's the conversation that you and Amy need to have?
1: At this point, I feel like I need to put her in the driver's seat. It's been me coming to the table with the ideas. It's been me bringing accountability and heat to the conversation. And it's the exact thing I refuse to do in my business because I know the importance of leading with questions and making it their idea. Right. You are a wise man. Hard Hard to do when you're not getting the answers that you want. This is where my natural impatience shows up um being willing to be impatient quote telling myself the story that i know the answer and what it should be and if she doesn't come to that yet being willing to let her fail forward and self discover the path
0: well and maybe she won't fail forward maybe she'll succeed you know i mean one of the things that happens to me all the time is that i think i've got all these brilliant ideas and then I meet with my team and I think it's a good thing I didn't pull the trigger on that idea because it wasn't so brilliant after all. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the conversation about what's really important to to you and Amy, I, I want to say that has to come first. I just, you know, nor, normally I don't advise, but I really, I really hope you'll go there first because that's what's breaking your heart. I mean, you can't bring yourself fully into to your work when things are difficult at home with the person you love so much. So you don't want to lose that. You want to nurture that. And you and Amy have got to connect at a deep level. And that definitely will involve your telling her what you're feeling and asking her what what she's feeling and asking her what she feels you too should be doing about
1: this. This is where the accountable side of me comes out. I feel like we've had this conversation so many times and um, ultimately, it's clear to me that I am not communicating correctly or effectively because I'm not getting the response. My intent is there, but um, the way not it is received. The response
0: is You want, or you're not getting any response.
1: No, it's just um, I'm not communicating in a manner that allows her to feel like it's a safe place.
0: Got it. There you go. Bingo, and good for you. Good for you, because each of us is a place. Mm -hmm. where conversations occur. We're an intellectual place, a physical place, an emotional place. I mean, there are people that we've learned to avoid because Mm -hmm. it it won't be fun. It won't be pretty. So right there is your biggest challenge. Oh, Jeff. All right. And then then, um, what else? I mean, we're not going to make, build up the whole long list. But so, you know, you're, you, you, you're you going to talk again with Amy, but in a very different way, a very different way, because you're mostly going to ask and listen. And tell me again what you're going to do about the business. I'm
1: going to write down what the right activities are. If I removed everything that's um, causing the strain, yeah. what would I be doing if money was not the issue to build a truly lasting business?
0: Mm. So what's going to try to get in your way of doing these things? Um,
1: This is where I'm actually pretty good um, at, at managing the stuff because it's the one thing I train on. Only me allowing myself to not act in order of priority.
0: Mm-hmm. When do I get to follow up with you?
1: One week from a, now.
0: A week from now? One week from now. One week from now. Okay. Because I really do, I, I really do want to follow up with you. I mean, that's important. You have now become important to me. Oh, thank you. And, yeah, you're welcome. So, all right. I you know, there, There's much more we could talk about, but I think that this is a good stopping place. But tell yeah.
1: me, was this helpful? God, yes. And I'll now play narrator for people who are listening to this. There's a reason I wanted to go down this rabbit hole um, because I I alluded to it before. When you bring emotions to the table, all of a sudden, there's a lot more motivation to take action. Um, Oftentimes, we need enough pain in our life to compel us to uh, take action. And that's just an easy way to elevate that pain real quick. And um, what I was feeling through that, I mean, I went to a very low place very quick. uh, But At the end, like that clarity, like I just felt the weight lift off my shoulders. I want to do it. I'm looking at everything else that is on my calendar this week and saying it's not as important. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, it's good. That's great. So
0: these conversations, this particular coaching, it's called a coaching conversation. Although, as I shared with you, I've never seen myself as a coach. Hmm. But this conversation, this particular approach can also be about really exciting things. It can be about you know here's here's where we're going and here's what's happening and here's something that I'm really excited about. Sometimes there sometimes they are there there can be sadness and frustration and anger and a myriad of emotions and sometimes there can be joy and excitement and and I always want uh, one of these conversations always ends with. Given everything you and I have just explored together, what do you see as the next most important step? Because you've got, you know, then, then a person is ready to say, by golly, I'm going to take at least one step. And I want you to do that, and I will follow up with you. You're a brave man, and I th- thank you for doing this. I I, am, I just can only think that the people listening to this will go, wow. And we'll, we'll care about you, Jeff. When we set... All of our hubris aside, um, and all that ego stuff aside, and we come out from behind ourselves and say, Look, I'm really I feel like I'm failing here and I'm really struggling and I'm really sad, I'm really upset. Most people will circle the wagons. Having said that, if a month from now you had taken no steps at all and were telling exactly the same story and having done nothing, then we would have a different conversation. You know, right, because we all we all know the person who's constantly telling the same sad story and is in no immediate danger of doing anything about it. So one of the things about fierce conversations is it, it tends to um, create a bias for action, which mm. is really what we all want.
1: Amazing. Well, Susan, where can people learn more about you?
0: Well, they can online uh, just go to fierce. If you, if you just type in Fierce, probably our company will come up, FierceInc.com, and you can um, learn all about us. We conduct trainings all over the world uh, with companies from the Fortune 1 to the very small and medium size that will help companies have the conversations that they need to have. Because what gets talked about in a company, how it gets talked about, and who gets invited to the table determines what's going to happen and equally important, what's not going to happen. So our focus, it's really interesting. Our focus is in the corporate world, even though I get emails almost every day from people who say, I'm using this at home. I love this. This is helping with my marriage, et cetera. And someday I think we'll have something for the general public, but right now it's all corporate. And it, um, it it's just deeply gratifying
1: the work that we're doing out there. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you are doing. It's uh already made an impact in my life and today was very big.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to uh to be a part of what you're doing and please give my best to Gary. I admire him tremendously.
1: Thank you. Well, there you have it. Our initial conversation with Susan Scott that was released as our episode 100 at the end of 2017. What's amazing as we listen back to this is the principles absolutely still ring true. The conversation is the relationship. And when you notice every single area in a relationship that you feel like you cannot go there, you just can't bring that up. It makes the possibilities for that relationship that much smaller. At the beginning of this episode, I shared with you that part of releasing this was holding ourselves accountable. This was one of the conversations that was a lead domino to transforming many things in our world. First thing was how we operate as a business. We realized we were missing a person. We were missing somebody who every single day woke up with your best interests at heart, who every single day asked the question, how can we create amazing content for you? and raising the bar every single time, who every single day asked the question, how do we put you and your interests at the center of the business? Her name is Less. And she came on as our community manager. When we brought her on, that began transforming everything from the emails that we write, the quality of our membership program, and one of the things I mentioned that was... That we were really struggling with in this episode was the tactics that were being used based on a content marketing or internet marketing model were not reflective of our business. With that we've been working to get down to one email a week, which is, I don't know another business in the content marketing game that is doing that. Yet we're setting out to do it. And instead of trying to play all the games everybody else is doing, we are focusing on bringing so much value to you that the growth of our business comes from referrals. It's why we asked you at the beginning of the episode to think of one person that you can share this with. And we've seen that the growth of this show is largely based on referrals. We hope that if this episode has brought value to you, that you will share it. The other thing that we get to share an accountability update on is what has happened in my personal finances and in my marriage since airing this. It's amazing how I showed up with my agenda trying to get my wife to be interested in it and going through this conversation with Susan I got clarity that you know what it's on me I'm not showing up and providing a space where it leads to us being honest with each other so the first thing that we did we I asked the focusing question what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it would make getting on the same page with money with Amy easier or unnecessary part of it was having a time block for us to actually talk about our finances we started having a Sunday family meeting where we sat down every week and looked at where the spending was the week before and then forecasted where we wanted to spend this week and making sure that it was on budget. The challenge was that wasn't a small enough domino and we figured out after about a month and a half of stumbling and still not succeeding at the level I wanted to, realizing that we needed to go smaller. Then we realized the one thing that we can do that would make everything else easier or unnecessary was every single day, write down what we spent. We have our budget for the week and we realize we want to develop the habit of developing a lifestyle to match a budget. Whether that budget be a big number or a small number, could we have the ability to develop a lifestyle that matches a budget? And it started by having clarity on what the budget is. And then every single day when we spend, we write it down. This single activity, as I look back, cut 20% of our spending that we were spending before just because we were conscious of it. And that has alleviated so much in terms of my mindset. I think now like an owner, thinking about the best interest of the business, rather than thinking like an employee, just trying to find more ways to make more money. It's changed the quality of my relationship with Amy. And we share this openly with you because we know there are so many of you that could benefit from developing that habit of matching a lifestyle to a budget. Whether it's high or low, having a plan before you spend. It all started because we had the right conversations with the right people. This is part of the reason that for those of you who have been following the show for a long time, we've talked about one thing coaching. I have coaches in my life. Jay has a coach. Gary has coaches. This has been a big commitment and initiative for us behind the scenes. And we are now at that point where we are launching it. So for those of you who would like to have someone in your world who can have deep, meaningful conversations like the one you have heard today, please go to theonething.com slash training. That's with the number one in the URL. You'll see a way that you can submit information regarding coaching, or you can send us an email directly at mastery at theonething.com. Mastery at theonething.com. That's with the number one in the URL. Put coaching in the subject line, and we'll make sure to reach out and connect you to the right person. Again, thank you for going on this journey with us. Uh, I'm not quite sure where else we could have these type of conversations and record this and and, and be so vulnerable. And because you are the type of person who we know will, will listen to this and will take action, it changes the dynamic. We hope that you will be the type of person that will go on to share this because we know the impact that this has made when we released it the first time. And we look forward to seeing what happens over the next wave. Thanks for being you, and we look forward to being with you in the next episode.